Alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina Wa min sayyati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudillala Wa man yudlil falahadiyala وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهج هج محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار مرحبا بكم جميعا أهلا وسهلا This is class number 11 for the sisters and of course the brothers are welcome to participate where we are covering the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha and some matters of jurisprudence connected to the affairs of women and benefits from the biographies of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In the last class of Tafsir, we had arrived to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Sirat wal-ladheena an'amta alayhim. The path of those whom your favor is upon. So after the dua, ihdina siratul mustaqim, guide us to the straight path, we have the statement, siratul ladina an'amta alayhim, the path of those whom your favor is upon. And Allah mentioning this after the dua, ihdina siratul mustaqim, is a matter of tremendous benefit and virtue and mercy for mankind. Saying guide us to the straight path and then afterwards the path being clarified. Guide us to the straight path. Maybe you'll find a person here say, what's the straight path? So Allah mentions after the path of those whom your favor is upon. So now it becomes clear without a doubt What's the straight path? And alhamdulillah, the Qur'an explains itself. And then you have the Qur'an being explained by the Sunnah. But in Surah An-Nisa, verse number 69, Allah, He mentions, وَمَنْ يُتِعِ الرَّسُولِ وَمَنْ يُتِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ من النبيين والصديقين والشهداء والصالحين وحسن أولئك رفيقا. And whoever obeys Allah the Messenger, then those are the ones whom are with those whom Allah's favor is upon. 
from the prophets and the truthful and the martyrs and the righteous and good and beautiful those individuals are as a companionship so here we have more clarity now first the clarity the path of those whom your favor is upon in another verse now Allah shows who are the categories of people that his favor is upon them the prophets truthful the martyrs and the righteous when we look at our ummah the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam the prophet of this ummah is prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he's one prophet and there are no other prophets along with him and there will be no other prophets after him he is khatimun nabiyyin the seal of the prophets as allah has described him so our ummah has one prophet and when we look at who is the siddiq of this ummah then the greatest example we have is in Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. As Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, he was with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam from the beginning of him calling the people to Islam. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, not one day did he have doubt in Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For when the people came, to Abu Bakr radiallahu anh and informed him of what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has said about him traveling from Mecca to Jerusalem and then back to Mecca they said did you hear what your companion said he said last night he traveled to Jerusalem and then back to Mecca he said radiallahu anh if he said it then I believe him. If he said it, then I believe him. So Abu Bakr radiallahu an never doubted. He always was one who confirmed the truth that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam conveyed. And he's an example for us after Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he is the best of the Muslims. As the people used to say in this narration, is on the authority of Abdullah bin Umar. كان الناس يقولون خير الناس بعد النبي أبو بكر ثم عمر ثم عثمان. That the people used to say that the best of the people after the Prophet وسلم, is Abu Bakr and then Umar and then Uthman. And they used to say this in the presence of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he would not say anything, showing that he approved. Now, taqrir, he approved of this statement that the best of the Muslims after him was Abu Bakr and then Umar and then Uthman and then there's Ali radiyallahu anhu majma'in, the rightly guided khulafa. So Abu Bakr radiyallahu an. He's at the foremost of the Siddiqeen. And then you have the Shuhada. The Shuhada are many in Islam. Many of the Muslims sacrifice their lives for the propagation of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. But when you look at the best Shuhada, who are they? Umar, Uthman and Ali. Because Umar radiallahu anhi was killed by Abu Lulu, the Persian. He was martyred. He was killed while he was in the Salah. Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhi was killed by the Khawarij in his home while he had the Mus'haf in his hand. The Khawarij also killed Ali ibn Abi Talib on his way to Salat al-Fajr. 
So here we have the three best Muslims after the Prophet وسلم, and Abu Bakr, all of them were martyred. All of them were martyred. And this doesn't go against the virtue of Hamza being the master of the martyrs on the Day of Judgment. This doesn't go against that. Because one can be in charge or the head of a people while there are others still there who are better. The point, Barakallah Fikum, the Shuhada, when we look at the rightly guided Khulafa, three of them were martyred out of the four. And then you have Wasaliheen and the righteous, Allah mentions in the verse. All of the Sahaba, they are righteous. Allah has praised them in the Quran, radiallahu anhum wa radu'an. That Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. They, Allah is pleased with them due to their righteousness, due to their integrity and in implementation of the religion and adherence to the religion of Allah. And beautiful and good those individuals are as a companionship. This brings us to the point of the importance of following the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Sahaba. And that their way is the straight path. And following other than their way leads to the hellfire. Allah Azza wa Jal he mentions وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُحَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ تَبِعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ That's Surah Tawbah verse 100. Allah, he states in the first and foremost to accept Islam. From the Muhajireen, those who migrated from Mecca to Medina or migrated from Habasha to Medina. These are the Muhajirun. Because you had some companions, they migrated from Mecca to Abyssinia or Habasha and then from Habasha to Medina. And then you have those who migrated from Mecca right to Medina. All of them are the Muhajirun. And the Ansar, they are the Aus and the Khazraj, those who receive the migrants who migrated to Medina and they supported them and aided them, believing in the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah, he mentions them in the Quran by name, the Muhajireen and the Ansar. This is a praise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has mentioned them by name. وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ And this is important here. And those who follow them in goodness. Those who follow them in goodness, meaning the latter Sahaba, who are not from the Muhajirin or Ansar, but they are from the Sahaba, and the Tabi'een and Atba'a Tabi'een, all the way up into our time, until the Day of Judgment. Whoever follows them, these first generation, or these, this first generation of Muslims, the first people who accepted Islam and those who aided them, those who followed them, radiallahu anhum, Allah is pleased with them. So if a person wants to earn and receive the pleasure of Allah, then it is upon him to follow these people, to follow these righteous Muslims. And when they follow these righteous Muslims, Allah will be pleased with them, and they will be pleased with Allah. Meaning the reward that Allah will give them, they will be pleased with Allah for that reward. And they are happy with that which Allah has given them, and favored them with in this dunya of guidance. They are pleased with Allah as their Lord. They are pleased with Prophet Muhammad as their Prophet, and they are pleased with Islam as their religion. 
the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, ذَاقَ تَعْمَ الْإِمَانِ مَنْ قَالَ رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ رَبَّا وَبِمُحَمَّدْ رَسُولًا وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَقَدْ ذَاقَ تَعْمَ الْإِمَانِ وَكَمَا قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Whoever says, I am pleased with Allah as my Lord, and I am pleased with Muhammad sallallahu as my messenger, and I am pleased with Islam as my religion, he has tasted the sweetness of faith. He has tasted the, uh, the taste of iman, the sweetness of iman. Being pleased with Allah as your Lord, being pleased with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as the messenger, and being pleased with Islam as one's way of life. So when a person follows the way of the muhajireen and the ansar, Allah will be pleased with this individual, and the individual will be pleased with Allah. Allah goes on to say, and Allah has prepared for them gardens underneath which rivers flow, to abide therein forever. Following the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu first and foremost, and then the Sahaba is the path to paradise. And this is what the Muslim strives for, the men and the women from amongst the Muslims. We strive for paradise. When we pray, we pray because we love Allah, we also pray because we want the reward from Allah. And we also pray to protect ourselves from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a part of our worship is seeking that great reward from Allah, the paradise, seeing Allah's face. So they will abide therein forever, and that is the magnificent achievement. The magnificent triumph. There's no greater reward and salvation or triumph or victory for the Muslim on the day of judgment other than getting into the paradise. Because if you do not get into paradise, then the only abode for the individual is the hellfire. We have the narration where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned خَيْرُ النَّاسِ قَرْنِ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ The best of the people is my generation. And then those who follow, and then those who follow. This statement of the Prophet, the best of the people, this means all people to have ever lived, except for the Prophets and the Messengers. These Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum ajma'een, are better than all people who lived, except for the Prophets and the Messengers, the Sahabas are better. than all people who have lived except for the prophets and the messengers. So this means that at the time the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they are better than the companions of Isa. And they are better than the companions of Musa.
They are better than the companions of any prophets. They are just not better than the prophets and messengers. The prophets and the messengers are the best of the people unrestrictedly. And Prophet Muhammad wasallam, he's the best of them. But when it comes to the people after the prophets and the messengers, the best of the people are the Sahaba. They're the best of the people. Imam Malik had mentioned that when the Christians seen the Sahaba, they said that these individuals are better than the disciples of Jesus. And these are Christians who claim to follow Isa salam and follow the disciples of Isa. When they seen the Sahaba, they said that these individuals, the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they are better than the disciples of Isa salam. The virtues of the Sahaba are well known. It is not befitting for anyone to say the Sahaba are men and we are men. They have their views and opinions, we have our views and opinions. This is incorrect. Because the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in would never unite upon misguidance. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَجْمِعُ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ عَلَىٰ ضُلَالَةٍ قَطْ Indeed, Allah will never unite this nation upon misguidance. The first of the nation is the Sahaba. So whenever you find that the Sahaba agreed upon a matter, know that it's the truth from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they have agreed upon. They will never agree upon misguidance. So this means that the truth is always with the Sahaba. Always. Even when there is differing amongst them, someone from amongst them has the truth. It's not going to be that all of the Sahaba are wrong and then those after them are right. That, that can never happen. Based upon the statement of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, when he went to debate with the Khawarij, this is one of the points he mentioned against them. He said, I come from the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the people who the Quran was revealed to. And he said, and none of us are with you. Even though the Sahaba were differing at the time, Ali and Muawiyah radiallahu anhuma, no one from each side was with those Khawarij who were gathering themselves up to revolt. And Abdullah ibn Abbas used this as a proof against them that none of us are with you. Okay, we may have a difference amongst ourselves, but that difference, as the scholars mentioned, was based upon ijtihad. But no one from the Sahaba were with those Khawarij and Harura, gathering with them and being amongst them. No one. This was a clear indication that what they were upon was incorrect. And it was upon them to repent and return back to the truth, as thousands of them did. And some narration is that's mentioned. It was uh, about 6,000 of them and about 4,000. Return back to the truth and 2,000 remain. And there are different uh, narrations regarding that. Another narration we have is the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَسَتَفْتَرِكُ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّ عَلَى ثَلَاثٍ وَسَبْعِينَ فِرْقًا كُلُّهَا فِي النَّارِ إِلَّا وَاحِدًا قِيلَ مَنْ هِيَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ قَالَ مَنْ كَانَ عَلَى مِثْلِي مَا أَنَا عَلَيْهِ الْيَوْمِ وَأَصْحَابِي The Prophet ﷺ stated that the Jews, they split into 71 groups. 
And the Christians, they split into 72 groups. And this Ummah was split into 73 groups. All of them in the hellfire except for one, it was said, Who are they, O Messenger of Allah? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, those who are upon the likes that I am upon today and my companions. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not mention himself alone. He said, and my companions. So following the way of the Sahaba is a protection from the hellfire. Also, you have the statement of Allah, وَمَنْ يُشَاكِكَ rasul." من بعد ما تبين لهم الهدى ويتبع وبعد ما تبين له الهدى ويتبع غير سبيل المؤمنين نوله ما تولى ونسله جهنم وسات مصيرا Whoever opposes the messenger after the guidance has been made clear to him and he follows a way other than the way of the believers the believers here are the sahaba First and foremost, because when this verse came down, there were no believers other than the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So, Allah goes on to mention, we will turn him to what he turned himself to, meaning the path that he has chosen, which is other than the path of the Sahaba, Allah say he will turn him to that path, meaning cause him to go further into misguidance and darkness, and then we will burn him in hell with an evil abode. Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala, he made a beautiful point regarding this verse. He said, Allah could have just mentioned the messenger of alone, a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam alone, and that would have been sufficient. Whoever opposes the messenger, after guidance has been made clear, we will turn him to what he turned himself to and burn him in hell with the evil abode. That's sufficient. He said, but Allah didn't just mention the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rather, he added and follows a way other than the way of the believers, showing the importance of following the Sahaba. And this is the first category of people in the Fatiha, because you have those whom Allah's favors upon, you have those whom Allah's angers upon, and then you have those whom are misguided. So those who are following the way of the Prophet ﷺ, following the Sahaba, these are the people who are upon the straight path. In the next class, we will move on to the last two categories. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd. In the last class, we had arrived to the Sunan of the Fitrah. The Sunan of the Fitrah. And the, the Fitrah is the natural disposition that which Allah Azza wa Jal has created mankind upon. And some of the ulama have mentioned that the fitrah is the way of the prophets and messengers. And in the event, we have the narration on the authority of Abi Huraira radiallahu an. Qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khamsun min al-fitrah. Al-istihdad wal-khitan wa qassu al-sharib. The Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, and his narration is on the authority of Abu Huraira, that five things are from the fitrah. Five things are from the fitrah. The removal of the pubic hairs. Al-istihdad. Wal-khitan, circumcision. وَقَصُّ الشَّارِبْ Shortening the mustache. وَنَضْفُ الْإِبِطْ The plucking of the armpits. Or the hair under the armpits. 
and taqlimul adfal and the shortening of the nails. There's another wording of this narration. Al-fitra khams, al-khitan wal-istihdad wa qasfu al-sharib wa taqlimul adfar wa nadful abat. That the fitra is five. Circumcision. The removal of the pubic hairs. Shortening the mustache. Clipping the fingernails. And this one. And the plucking of the hairs of the armpits. We covered that. The fitra is not restricted to these five matters. Rather, these are five matters from the affairs of the fitra because there is another narration on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha where she stated, Ashrun min al-fitra. Ten things are from the fitra. So the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he stated, Ashrun min al-fitra, qasu al-sharib, وَإِعْفَاءُ اللِّحْيَةِ وَالسِّوَاكِ وَاسْتِنْشَاقُ الْمَاءِ وَقَصُّ الْأَذْفَارِ وَالْغَصْلُ الْبَرَاجِمِ وَنَطْفُ الْإِبِطِ وَحَلْقُ الْعَانَةِ وَانْتِقَاسُ الْمَاءِ قال زكريا قال مسعب ونسيت العاشرة إلا أن تكون المضمضة so Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam stated, ten things are from the fitra, shortening the mustache, meaning when it comes over your lip. We should not allow our mustaches to cover our lip. So we shorten it to where the lip can be seen. If you notice, you see some Yahud, the mustache is covering the whole lip. We don't have this practice. Rather, we shorten it so that the lip is seen. Not that it's long. It's okay to have a long mustache. But not covering the lip here. Growing the beard or leaving the beard. It's not permissible for the men to shave their beards. The usage of the siwak to clean your teeth. Taking the water into your nose, wastanshakulma, when you blow, take the water into your nose. This is from the fitra. Walqasul adfar, shortening the nails. Walqasul barajim, putting the water in between the joints of your fingers and your toes. Walnutful ibilt, the plucking of the hairs of the armpits. وَحَلْقُ in the cutting of the pubic hairs. وَانْتِقَاسُ This is al-istinja. Cleaning your privates after relieving yourself. And Zakiriya, he mentioned that Mus'ab, he stated, and I forgot the tenth one, meaning this is the narrator. He says, except that it is the madmada, taking the water and putting it into your mouth. And making the water go around your mouth, rinsing out your mouth. The point that we uh, focused on was the matter of khitan. The matter of circumcision. Circumcision is from the fitrah. And is mentioned by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That which indicates that both men and women get circumcised in Islam. We have the narration of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. إِذَا الْتَقَى الْخِتَانَانَ وَجَبَ الْغُسُلُ When the two circumcised parts touch one another or meet, the ghusl becomes obligatory. And what is meant by the two circumcised parts, meaning when the man 
enters into a woman, the ghusl becomes obligatory, even if there is no ejaculation from the man or from the woman. The point is that the Prophet mentioned as a figure of speech, as the Prophet was a man who wasn't lewd in his speech. So he would mention things without mentioning them directly. Instead of saying that when the man's private to the end, when the two circumcised parts meet, the ghusl becomes obligatory. This is the indication or the proof that the scholars use that women are circumcised in Islam. As it is known that men are circumcised, as this is from the sunnah of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. We have the narration, An Abi Hurairata radiallahu an, Anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal, Ikhtatana Ibrahim khalilur rahman ba'dama atat alayhi thamanuna sana. The Ibrahim, the beloved friend of Ar-Rahman, meaning Allah, the most merciful, he circumcised himself after reaching 80 years of age. And Allah, he mentioned to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ثُمَّ أَوْحَيْنَ إِلَيْكَ أَنِتَّبِعْ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا And then we have revealed to you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to follow the path of Ibrahim, who was a monotheist, upon the path of monotheism. The scholars differ now. Some scholars say that circumcision is obligatory both on both men and women. Then you have some scholars who say that circumcision is recommended for both men and women. It's not obligatory. And then you have those who say that circumcision is obligatory upon the men, recommended for the women. And many of the ulama have taken uh, this position. And from them, Ibn Qudama Ta'ala, where he stated, as for the circumcision, then it is obligatory upon the men and a matter of honor regarding the right of the woman. He said, This is the statement of many from amongst the scholars. That circumcision is obligatory upon the men, but it is recommended for the woman. And we covered that Circumcision for the woman is for the purpose of lessening her desires. Takhfif, yani to lessen her desires. However, when the circumcision is done, the woman who is circumcising the woman should be skilled and she knows what she is doing so that she does not harm this young girl. There was a woman in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Her name was Um Atiyah Al-Ansariyah. She was a woman who used to circumcise the girls in Medina. So the Prophet said to her, and this narration is in the Sunan of Abi Dawood. It says, Um Atiyah al-Ansariyah kanat takhtinu bil-Madinah. Faqala laha al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, la tunhiki fa'inna thalika ahza lil-mar'a the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, and this narration uh, has been authenticated by Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah. 
The Prophet ﷺ said to Umar Atiyah al-Ansariyah, the woman who was circumcising the girls, do not cut too much off Do not cut too much off from, meaning the clitoris of the girl. Don't cut it off too much. Don't go overboard. And that is better for the woman and more beloved to the husband later on. Another narration mentions, Ashimmi walatun hiki. Take a little bit and do not go overboard in taking from the private area of the woman. It is better for her, number one, that she is not harmed and her desires are taken away completely. Because remember, the purpose is to Lighten or lessen the desires, not to remove her desires altogether. And it is more beloved to the husband later on in her life. And this shows that Islam has concern for the protection of the woman in her immediate affairs as well as her future affairs in her family life. If a man is married to a woman, who has been completely circumcised, this can affect their um, the part of their marriage where they have their intimacy. This can affect it. Because now a man, he's uh, being intimate with his wife and there's no response from her. Rather, she's just there, present. She's not refusing him, but it's, it's almost to the point that she's not present. Why? Because she has no feeling in the situation because of that complete circumcision that's overboard. So now the man, he feels like he's not pleasing his wife. This can do something to his, his manhood, for lack of better words, that he's not able to please his wife. This can hurt his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to use the word ego, because it's not the issue, but it, it can hurt someone, his pride or his, his, uh, his self-confidence, or his confidence in giving his wife her rights of fulfilling her desires. And then that also harms her and hurts her. How many relationships or marriages have come to an end due to there being problems in the matter of intimacy. This happens. So the Prophet ﷺ informed Um Atiyah al-Ansariyah not to take too much off from the clitoris when she is performing the circumcision, and then he mentioned the benefits or the reasons why. The scholars have mentioned some medical benefits When it comes to circumcision, for the men, they have mentioned that when a man is circumcised, this is a benefit for the man in the matter of pure, being pure and clean. Because the foreskin on the privates of the man, it collects bacteria. And that 
is subjecting the man to harm as well as the woman that he has relations with to harm. So the scholars he mentioned asked for the benefits for female circumcision. They say that the secretions of the labia minora accumulate in uncircumcised women and turn rancid. So they develop in an unpleasant odor which may lead to infections of the vagina. And some doctors have mentioned that they have seen many cases of sickness, sickness caused by the lack of circumcision in women. It says circumcision reduces excessive sensitivity of the clitoris, which may cause it to increase in size to three centimeters when aroused, which is very annoying to the husband, especially at the time of intercourse. He says another benefit of circumcision is that it prevents stimulation of the clitoris which makes it grow large in such a manner that it causes pain. It says circumcision prevents spasms of the clitoris which are a kind of inflammation. It says from the benefits of circumcision for the woman, circumcision reduces excessive sexual desire. And also you find that scholars have mentioned in those societies in which women are circumcised, you find that the spread of zina is at a minimum in compared to those societies where women are not circumcised because the women who are not circumcised they are excessively uh aroused or, or they are they have their sex drive is stronger than those women who live in lands where the, the circumcision of the woman also is mentioned that it reduces the incidence of urinary tract infections. It also reduces the incidence of infections of the reproductive system. And there are other benefits that have been mentioned for the circumcision of the woman. As for that which is done in some places where the woman is circumcised Entirely, meaning the clitoris is entirely removed. This is against the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is not allowed, even though this is from the cultural practices of many. Ahmad he continue with benefits from the biography of the wives of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we had arrived to his second wife Sauda bin Zam'a and we covered that Sauda radiallahu anha she is from the tribe of Quraysh and she had accepted Islam in Mecca early in the prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and her and her husband at the time As-Saqran ibn Amr they both gave their pledge of allegiance to the Prophet Sallallahu and they have migrated to Habasha together and then they had returned back to Medina and her husband had died shortly after and after she 
became free to be married, the Prophet ﷺ proposed to her. And he married her. One point uh, that we also mentioned uh, in the last week's class is that Aisha radiallahu anha she mentioned a beautiful statement regarding Sauda and she said I have not seen a woman who was more beloved than I be like her from any of the women other than Sauda bin Zama'a and it was mentioned that this was due to what she seen in Sauda of her strength and of her mannerisms and her goodness. The Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned that there's no other woman that she had which that she loved to be like other than Sauda. A point to be mentioned, Barakallah Fikum, that Sauda radiallahu anha was from the first Muslims in Mecca. And this in itself is an indication of her strength. As those who accepted Islam in Mecca prior to the Hijrah, none of them were munafiqun. There were no hypocrites in Mecca. The hypocrites appeared after the hijrah of the Prophet to Medina, after the Battle of Badr. Because now Islam is strong. The Muslims are forced to be reckoned with, so now people are accepting Islam for worldly benefits now. Prior to that, in Mecca, the Muslims were persecuted. The Muslims were under siege. The Muslims were being tortured. The Muslims were being killed. Sauda accepted Islam during that time. That's an indication of her strength. And an indication of her sincerity. That she accepted Islam when it wasn't, quote unquote, popular to be a Muslim. When the Muslims were in a state of weakness, this is when she accepted Islam. So the benefit we get from this aspect of her life, the importance of the woman being sincere in their practice of the deen. Being like Sauda radiallahu anha, a woman who was sincere, a woman who was dedicated, even in times of hardships, even in times when it's not, the truth is not popular, she still acknowledged the truth and submitted to the truth. Unfortunately, we have in days and times of ours that people like to follow the popular opinion or to be in the in crowd. Not every time the majority opinion is the correct opinion or the in crowd, they have the truth with them. So one should not base what they are following upon is this group the majority or is this the popular opinion. Rather, what you follow should be based upon is this in accordance to what Allah has revealed? Is this in accordance to that which the Prophet wasallam came with? Is this the revelation? As in the case with Sawdah, as she accepted Islam in Mecca during a time where the Muslims were weak. Another point, Barakallah Fikum, she migrated to Abyssinia and that took great courage and strength to leave everything behind for the sake of Allah for your religion. So Sauda was one who sacrificed for her deen. Making hijrah is not an easy thing. Wallahi is not. 
It takes great sacrifice, great courage to make hijrah, to get up and say, you know what? I'm leaving all of this behind and I'm, I'm fleeing with my religion. Because naturally, the soul is inclined towards the dunya. And when you make hijrah, believe, without a doubt, you're leaving behind something from the dunya. That's why the reward is so great for hijrah. Because you are leaving behind something from the dunya that you are attached to. And when you do that for the sake of Allah, you, you get a great reward. Allah doesn't leave your act unrewarded. Making hijrah wipes out all of your sins similar to hajj. And similar to when a person becomes a Muslim. This is from the great virtues of making hijrah. Sauda, she made hijrah to Abyssinia, came back to Mecca, and then made hijrah again to Medina. MashaAllah. So this shows, Barakallah Fikum, that she was a woman who sacrificed for her deen. And this is an example for the Muslim woman. The importance of sacrificing for your religion. Don't sacrifice your religion for the dunya. Sacrifice the dunya for the religion. And for you is a great reward. Sauda radiallahu anha she was a widow as her husband died and she didn't leave Islam very important some women when the marriage is no longer work or the husband dies you find that the woman she doesn't practice the religion anymore this act of Sauda remaining firm upon her religion was an indication she didn't accept Islam because of her husband. She accepted Islam due to her belief in Allah and His Messenger. And this is something that's very important that we tell the woman, especially the new shahadas from amongst the sisters, and they come into Islam, and right away there's a brother they want to marry, we inform them and advise them that make sure that your Islam is for Allah and His Messenger. Meaning for Allah, the one who you worship, His Messenger, the one who you follow. Not for the brother. Because the brother, he's here today and gone tomorrow. If he dies tomorrow, or he doesn't want to be in the marriage no more tomorrow. Are you going to turn back on your heels and leave the religion? It's very important that the woman understand this aspect. Yes, without a doubt, a man's influence over the religion is present in the marriage. This is why it is not allowed for a Muslim woman to marry a disbelieving man so that he doesn't influence her to disbelieve in Allah. Whereas it is allowed for a Muslim man to marry a chaste Christian or Jewish woman because the Muslim man may influence the woman to accept Islam. Yes, we don't deny this. This is present. However, this doesn't mean that the woman's practice is based upon the husband. That if he practices, I practice. If he doesn't practice, I don't practice. If we're married, I practice. If we're no longer married, I don't practice. If he's alive, I practice. If he dies, I don't practice. No, not that. Rather, the husband is there as a leader and an influence in a positive way over the family. But the family should understand that if the husband dies, the father dies, that Islam is still there, Allah still lives. Look, the greatest calamity upon this ummah is the death of Prophet Muhammad The Prophet himself mentioned that, that his death is the greatest calamity upon the ummah. 
But still, what did Abu Bakr say, radiallahu an? Whoever worshipped Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then Muhammad has died. But whoever worships Allah, then Allah is the ever-living, he doesn't die. And this is what is to be implanted into the minds and the hearts of our families. That if I die tomorrow, and I'm saying this as talking to the brothers now, as men, we need to tell our families, if we die tomorrow, Allah still lives, you have to continue to be a Muslim. This is the way of the prophets. They asked, each, who are you going to worship after my death? This is in the Quran. Yaqub, he asked his children, who are you going to worship after my death? He said, we're going to worship your Lord and the Lord of your forefathers, Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq. So the point is that, yes, the father, the husband, he's the head of the household. But the practice of Islam does not end with his life. The practice of Islam does not end with the ending of the marriage. Sauda radiallahu anha, her husband died, she remained firm upon the religion. And due to her sacrifice, look what Allah gave her. Gave her the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu as a husband. Allah Ta'ala will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Azza wa Jal alone. Whatever is incorrect is for myself. Wa subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.